The one that I was intrigued by, just kind of going through the whole process, was probably Ian Book. Now, I, and I don't know how great he's going to be, but I told you the story before about um, Russell Wilson and how he kind of carried himself through that process and was texting me all the time about, you know, hey, if the Eagles draft me, I'll, I'll help lead them to championships. And you're like, People will say that's hokey or that's, I'm like, I don't know. He's the only guy that ever did that in eight years. And the guy turned out to be a pretty good player. That's Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network. He's going to join us in the draft, talking about Russell Wilson before he was even drafted, texting him all the time. Little NBA, a surprising observation that I've surprised myself with and life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value, Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. A bunch of NBA things that I want to do here quickly, um, but then a little bit later, we're going to get Sarudi's thoughts on the soccer thing that I, I see him tweeting about. I know he's really excited. I kind of just had a question for the younger guys on the crew here. So let's do that in a few minutes. Um, I know that Nuggets lost last night, but Joker's going to win the MVP. Bill and I touched on this on Sunday. I just don't think there's really any debate here now, considering what Denver has been able to do without Jamal Murray. Um, and, and just single-handedly, just some of these games that, that Jokic is dominating. So if you look at the league the last few years, I'm going to combine two things here. But you know, Joker comes in, he's the 41st pick overall in the second round. His first season, he came off the bench for 25 games. Um, he averaged 10 a game. His second season, you could already start to see it. But, but an MVP? I don't think anybody thought that that was going to happen. 17, 10, and 5. And he still only started like 59 games. Remember, they had Yusuf too. And they had like both guys. You're trying to figure out like, how is this going to work? And then obviously Nurkic is out of there. And then Joker starts taking it to another level. But I would argue even last year, there were games where I'm like, how come he doesn't shoot more? Like, why isn't he shooting more? And now, whether it's necessity because of Jamal Murray being out at times or just his sheer dominance in the way he reads the game, I mean, just watching him is becoming, I would say, one of the handful of guys who are like, oh, you know, he's in right now. He's in for this eight to 10 minute stretch. All right, I'm going to watch the Nuggets again. I feel like I've watched a lot of Nuggets this year, but he's just that much fun to watch and he's going to win the MVP and he's going to be doing it as a second round pick. The only other MVP out of the second round is Willis Reed. Now, there's a couple guys that came over from the ABA, Moses Malone, Julius Irving, so it's a little bit different. But if you go through, you have Giannis, 
who won it back-to-back as the 15th pick. Harden's a top pick. Westbrook's a top pick. Steph's a little bit later, but it's not like he's in the middle of the first round. Durant's the second pick. LeBron's the first pick. Rose's the first pick. Kobe, the Kobe deal is weird for him because of where he came out. Because you, And for those of you that are younger, you're not going to remember this, but I was in college when Kobe came out. I had watched Kobe play basketball for a total of zero seconds of his entire life. And yet I was completely comfortable with, as a college kid, 2021 at the time, going, this guy, who's he think he is? Wing? Like, I'm cool with big guys coming out, but a wing? Oh, my God, this guy's going to suck. And that's just how you talk about stuff. I mean, now we have information and we still are just as dismissive. But I was totally comfortable. Media members were completely comfortable writing off Kobe Bryant only because he was a wing and wings aren't supposed to come out of high school. And it's okay if the big guys do, but wings can't. I'm telling you, it sounds just as stupid saying it out loud right now, but everybody was okay with it and accepted. And it's always a nice reminder, too, when you go back and remember how people talked about things historically. And then you can say like, oh, wow. That was that was kind of stupid. So Kobe's kind of an outlier here because even though he's a later first round pick, it's 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 different circumstances. Dirk winning an MVP is actually kind of like a pre Jokic thing here, um, but still, Dirk was a top ten pick. Nash a little bit later, Garnett high school deal, but still the fourth overall pick. Duncan number one pick. Iverson, Shaq, Carl Malone was a little bit later, and then Jordan. Then you have the you know, David Robinson's Akeem Barkley was a top five pick. Jordan, Bird, Moses, Kareem, Moses, Bill, on and on and on. I could keep going. Will, all of this stuff. The only other guy who's a second round pick is Willis Reed. But even that is pretty misleading. Let's go back to the 1964 draft. Your territorial selections, which is the local pro team could take a local college player. I don't know how weird the rules were with that, but George Wilson went to Cincinnati from Cincinnati, then Walt Hazard, UCLA legend, to the Lakers. So then the draft starts in the first round, even though two picks are off, are a total of seven picks. So Willis Reed is a second round pick, the first pick out of Grambling State. He's actually the 10th overall pick in the entire draft. So that will mean that really Jokic is going to be the first second round guy, a real second round guy, even though it's Willis Reed. And this is continuing a trend here of play. And I don't have an answer for this one other than maybe you have to figure out like, okay, if you're, if you're that heavy and you look like a kid at recess who has boogers down his face and is just going to punch kids. And then, you know, later on in life, maybe you'll get your revenge on him because he's still in the town. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely typecasting here. But if you look like that and you go in the second round, okay, so then there's the development. Because I thought the greatest development stories maybe in NBA history were Kawhi Leonard and then Giannis. Uh, because it's tough to pick a winner there. You'd be like, oh, you're going to be kidding me. Greek freak. If you watch the video of him coming out, I was lucky enough to talk to John Hammond, who selected him at the time. And I go, what did you see? He's like, eh, you know, we just kind of saw like a physical profile. And we're like, yeah, he's got a shot. Hell, middle of the first, screw it. Let's just take him. It wasn't, those guys could have found a way to give themselves all the credit in the world. And they didn't. Hammond didn't take any credit. When I've talked to him, whether it was on the year or off the year about it. And that's what I always loved about Hammond is that he's like, look, he just kind of fit this physical profile. And it just kind of made sense of where we were at in the draft. Like this guy projects if things were to work out. 
Because like I'm watching Kaminga and Jalen Green from the NBA G League Ignite team, and I see them, I see their physical profiles, I see what the projection would be, but I also think Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga understands the game far better than either of those players do. But again, they were playing much better com- competition for the Ignite team than Gonzaga was. So whenever you're looking at a, a guy like you know, Jokic in the future, you're going to go, hey, kind of out of shape, odd body, doesn't really fit what we're doing. Yeah, let's take him higher now. You know, that's, hey, Giannis, 6'9", doesn't really know what he's doing out there, kind of running around. The competition was dreadful. There's not a ton of video on him. <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah, let's take that guy. Kawhi Leonard, really undersized power forward, doesn't really shoot it all that well. He's got some jump hooked, little post. Maybe could defend long arms. Yeah, let's take him two overall. I don't know that any of this stuff's going to happen. I don't know if that means now front offices have to have a much, uh, much like broader idea of what a pro player could be and have more of an open mind because then you're probably just going to have even more mistakes. But that's what we're going to have. We're going to have like a real second round MVP for really the first time in NBA history. Giannis's story's crazy. Kawhi's story's nuts. And then that kind of leads into this next part of it where. Even though you know, I would have times I'm like, is, is Jokic really a top 10 player? Yeah, he's a top 10 player. But then really what the, the top tier becomes with now not just an MVP award is are you one of the ones? And the ones are, can you immediately change who a franchise is and change the expectations of that franchise? And I'm not just talking about like, hey, we're better with James Harden. Hey, we got Bradley Beal. We're better with this guy. I think there's only a handful of players that do this. And it's pretty clear it's LeBron. It's still Kawhi. It's obviously Steph. Durant, you have to say, yeah, because if you have a healthy Durant tomorrow, then, and if you want to knock me on the health thing, that's fine. And the list kind of stops there. But the weird part is, is that the Chris Paul argument for MVP, trust me, I would love to see him get it. It's the wrong vote. I'd love to see an argument for Steph. You guys have been listening to this pod long enough. Voting for Steph over Joker is a, is a mistake. But even though I don't have Paul in my top 10 players right now, and my top 10 is different than your top 10 probably because mine is part resume, part perception, and then also the reality of who they are right now, not just, hey, who's having the 10 best seasons in 2021. But I would put Paul fifth on the list based on what he's done once again in another stop where when you have Chris Paul, you're just a different team and a team with a much higher ceiling despite his playoff failures. And so, yeah, there are players that are better than Chris Paul but I don't know that they have the same kind of impact. So I'd put Paul in that group and the other guys I know people would say, hey, what about Luca? What about Harden? What about Joker? You just talked about it. Mead, Giannis. I'm not sure. I'm sure of the first four, LeBron, Kawhi, Steph, and Durant. But the fact that a guy like Kawhi is even in that group, considering who he was, seven points a game to start his career. Giannis, seven points a game. Kawhi, I think, was eight points a game. Giannis was like seven points a game. Guys coming off the bench, not even playing that many minutes. And now we're talking about a handful of the best players in the league. And that's not how it was, at least when I grew up. There'd be a surprise here or there. But there are there are more unique success stories in this league in the last few years. And it's going to be capped off by a guy who was picked 41st overall playing for Denver winning the MVP. So, Rudy, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Feel free. But I would also like to hear your thoughts on this Roma deal that I know you're really excited about. Big, big deal in uh, in Europe this morning. I guess this afternoon. Woke up to the news. Jose Mourinho. Do you know who Jose Mourinho is? 
think I've seen him on a couple Instagram pictures because all those soccer guys have sick watches. Yeah. So every every now and then somebody will come up on a feed and be like, oh, that's a nice little timepiece. Yeah, Jose is basically like his nickname is the special one, right? He's he's uh he was at one point the best manager in the world. And you know, he was at Chelsea, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, won some Champions Leagues, but his last two spots have been at Manchester United and Tottenham, completely flamed out, terrible. Everyone thinks he kind of lost his fastball. I was trying to think of like a American sports comp to him. It would kind of be is Tottenham Maybe. ever any good? Like, is if you're well, a Tottenham fan, what does that mean? You live in Brooklyn? Yep, you're definitely a hipster. Um, you're probably wearing a beanie a lot, I would imagine. You probably don't drink uh, regular milk, some sort of alternative milk for sure. Uh, but I, Tottenham's a cool club. They just don't win anything. So your, your life is probably not going to be super fun because they haven't won a trophy, I think, in well over a decade. They don't win the Premier League. But they still are one of the big teams. They were in the quote-unquote Super League, whatever. But that was his last stop. He just got fired at Tottenham, and everyone's like, he kind of lost it. And I think he's, I was trying to think of a comparison. I think he's kind of like John Gruden, where it's like, oh, Gruden, like, oh my God, we got Gruden as our head coach. Like, he's got a big name. Like, he's won some stuff. It's exciting. But does he actually know what he's doing at this, in 2021? Like, would you be, would, would like modern analytics or people excited if John Gruden's your head coach? It's almost like when Phil Jackson took over the Knicks. It's like, yeah, huge name. But, but does he care? Is he motivated? Does he understand today's player? So that's kind of where we're at now. And my favorite team, Roma, just hired him as their head coach. So not really sure what to think about it. Uh, you tweeted out you're, you're already talking yourself into it, though. Well, because he's he's a really charismatic dude. He's great in the media. He talks a ton of shit. Um, and but the problem is he like wears out his welcome in like less than a year almost. And all the players on every team he's been on. So it's a little bit him. sounds like Harbaugh a little bit. Kind of like Harbaugh. That's a good call. It's, it's a good call, except he's actually he's actually won something. Uh, and I'm nah. not, this isn't an anti-Harbaugh <laughs> thing. I actually like Harbaugh, but. He actually does have some, some trophies in the cabinet, not just, you know, a couple of uh, decent seasons at Stanford and then a, one Super Bowl with the 49ers. But that's not a bad comparison. But Decent seasons at Stanford are completely turned around a program that, like, had nothing going on. Um, but, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That's good. Do you have a team, Kyle? Are you, you're not a big UEFA guy, I imagine. No, there was actually a time in um, in middle school, though, where I was like, I was going to take Spanish, but my stepmom was Spanish. Or not Spanish. She was a Spanish teacher. So I went and took Italian and I went through the seventh grade thing where I'm like, I'm all in on Italian. I got like a Roma jersey and the Italia like jerseys. Dude. And I was like running around a little pudgy seventh grader running around in those tight little soccer jerseys. Um, and, you know, that just kind of fell off to the side. But I did have a Roma jersey at one time. Euro Kyle. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I don't know what happened. I was just like, I, I wasn't Italian at all. And I was like, I'm all Italian, everything. It's going to be like a, it was like a year and a half of like, a, a really you went through hobby. an Italian phase. Yeah, totally, we're totally. <laughs> so what strange. Year, what year was this? Um, well, seventh grade. So uh, I don't know, early early two thousands, maybe two thousand four, two thousand five. Okay, so this is probably like around when Italy won the World Cup. There you go. Probably couldn't tell you. High. Wasn't that into him, you know? Did like the you would fade, <laughs> the fad was a. Then you were like, ironically, that's when I started smoking too. <laughs> fully embraced it i just remember thinking like these are a little tight these jerseys mm -hmm. a little tight oh my god i can't believe how many great stories kyle has all That's right again i keep thinking there there was something last week i was like this is the least on-brand kyle thing i've ever heard he has now topped it with euro kyle i just couldn't see you embracing euro culture i guess the cigarette thing is right though my family was real confused like you don't want to get like the ireland team or something i was like no nah, nah, nah. roma's my roma's my team 
Well, the cool thing is Irish people really like Italians and vice versa. So that <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that everybody was cool with that. All right. We're going to talk some draft coming up. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Daniel Jeremiah joins us uh, quite a bit throughout the season. He's an NFL network analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Move the Sticks and also many years in NFL front offices. Also host of Move the Sticks podcast with Bucky Brooks. So, I want to kind of start with some philosophical things. I'll ask you about some of the picks here or there. Yep. When I look at a receiver who I can like on Saturdays. I watch a ton of college football. You'll know that. And you'll go, okay, well, this guy's a first rounder, but this guy's a third rounder. It can be as simple as, okay, straight up speed, size, productivity, a multitude of things. But how big is the gap between, say, a first and third round wide receiver versus like a first or third round interior offensive lineman? I would say the, the gap is bigger in the offensive lineman. It's just there's there's a smaller pool of offensive linemen every year. So normally, in normal years, you'd say you got to take your big guys early. Uh, that's really offensive linemen and defensive linemen because the drop-off, usually outside the first round, like example, defensive tackles, the second round is reserved for character guys. So guys who have major you know issues off the field for, or just you know athletic, freaks that are not great football players so projects i mean you're not going to get a fully assembled defensive lineman in the second round there's going to be some kind of a knock on him there that's why those first round guys always go um and then offensive line wise similar it's usually not as the, the character thing not as much um but you know if you if you are if you're coordinated and you're experienced and you're a solid player you go in the first round you know if, if you're outside the first round it's because this guy needs to get physically stronger He's uh, he, he maybe hasn't played a lot of football or and injuries can factor into that, too. Like Walker Little is kind of a good example of somebody that probably if he had been clean, healthy as a first round pick, um, but he wasn't. So he's not in there. But receiver wise, the list is so long, Ryan, like every year on the draft board, receivers and corners. It's the two deepest positions, as you would imagine, um, with the way the game's played from high school all the way up. And so that difference 
the difference between a fourth, fifth round receiver to a you know early second round receiver is really not that big. No kidding. All right. Uh, so when I look at like somebody like Nick Bolton, linebacker out of Mizzou, yeah. goes to yeah. Kansas City. If you watched him at Mizzou, he just lit people up forever. And people can talk about him being everyone's favorite. And I also, look, again, like I said, I, I can understand the knocks against certain players and why they'd end up in a second round. But what is it when you watch the tape and you love a player, but you know immediately there's kind of a projected pick ceiling? So he's my, he was my 34th player which put him just outside the first round. And I said, he's a, he's a poor man's Devin Bush. So it literally is like, you can see the premium version of that player, which is a first round player. The difference is you, with him, it was, he's a little bit tight in space and some of the cover stuff, he wasn't as, wasn't as clean. So to be a first round linebacker, now you have to be able to run, which you can, and you got to be able to cover, which is probably where he was a little bit short of being, you know, a first round guy. So um, that's kind of the, there's those certain traits at certain positions where you might not, it was the same thing with Devontae Smith. It was like, Devontae Smith's going to be a phenomenal pro. I, I truly believe that. But because he doesn't check all the physical boxes, he's probably not going to be a top 10 pick. Even though I have him as my fifth or sixth player, I was, I knew he probably wasn't going to go in the top 10 because there's just those certain requirements. Usually you kind of got to hit to go in different sections of the draft. So did you have Smith ranked ahead of Waddle? I had Waddle one spot over Smith and that was, I went back and forth on that a million times. And so what was that like know, for you trying to figure that out? So here's the problem. I kind of went against my core belief on this because I usually say the tiebreaker is route running. And if it's close, the superior route runner is always going to be the better pro. And I think he is a, he's a better route runner than Waddle. But I thought Waddle from 19 to 20, I thought he made huge strides in that area. So I'm like, okay, I've got all this crazy speed. Um, then I've got the return value. I've got the run after catch advantage for him. But the difference would be uh, route running. And I'm like, well, he's closed that gap in, in a year's time. So I think that's trending where he's going to be fine. Um, it's hard for guys that are that dang fast to be able to gear down and get in and out of the break. And I thought he made some big time improvements from from last year. This year, we just only got to see it for four games. When you were working in the front office, I imagine there's guys that just argue, okay, wait, Heisman, we saw it, the productivity, yeah. all the coaches. Like I know he's small. And then I imagine the other side, guys are screaming, like, I don't want a 160 pound number one receiver. I don't no. want to like what are those conversations like? Um, usually if you use guys inside your division, um, you know, so that's the negative side of it, right? So if we were, uh, let's say, uh, with the Ravens, and I just remember this coming up a bunch uh, for like undersized edge rushers, right? Like this guy's a great player. He had a million sacks. The coaches love him, this, that, and the other. And then somebody in the room would go, yeah, that's great. Can he actually get Ben Roethlisberger on the ground? I mean, is he just going to hit and bounce off this guy when he, when he gets back there? Like this, we're in a big, rugged division. Uh, that's great what he was able to do at college, but it's, that's a different, it's a different deal up here. So I'm sure that the guys that that tried to knock Devontae Smith were like, really? What, what's going to happen when uh, we've got Xavier Howard, you know, lined up over his nose for 62 snaps? You know, how's he going to get away from him? You know, or that type stuff. And then you got other guys will be like, well, I'm looking up at our draft board and I see about six guys we have rated up there in the top three rounds. I guess we better drop those guys way down because he torched every single one of them. You know, like those are the kind of debates that you have in there. Did you have, I bet you did, because I think every business has this. I think groups of friends have this, where there's just a guy instinctively is just wrong all the time. 
Did you have a guy you loved having around and maybe he was an area scout forever and you're like, man, his, he just is wrong a lot on guys. Yeah. You know what, though? It's just the unwritten rule that you, you don't bring up the past sins, you know? So, you, you know, everybody in the room. No kidding. Guy, you, yeah, you just don't you don't do it. That's just a jerk move, man. Like, I mean, really, like the guy's going all in on a player and you're like, oh, yeah. This like you like Brandon of- Whedon. I still yeah. haven't forgotten. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It reminds me a lot of your Paxton Lynch report. Sounds very familiar. How'd that work out? Uh, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. But it does get, it does get, it does get heated in there, man. Um, there have been times where it's, it's carried over. We used to always play hoops right after the meetings, and uh, you'd go downstairs. You get a break, right? So you're meeting all day. Get a break for lunch. We would just go play hoops and then grab a little something and come back into the draft room. And uh, there'd be times where you'd come out of the meetings and we go down and play hoops and like a word wouldn't be said because we just came out of a pretty, pretty testy debate in there. But it was, uh, it was interesting. There's been all times where you came out of there. Where it was like, it was like, it was like, cha- I never did this, but I, I saw it where it was like, they challenged him to a duel. Basically like we're leaving right now. We got a break. You and me, we're going in my office. We're popping in two games on this guy, two games on that guy. You tell me how you could have this guy over that guy. And like literally they would go in there and sit there. It was like a tape off. Like sitting there going at watching the two guys. I remember, I think it was, uh, actually, I think it was, it might've been Laronitis and Clay Matthews, I think were in the same draft class. I just remember it was two white linebackers. And I remember, I think it might've been Laronitis and, and Clay Matthews was the, that was the one. No kidding. Yeah. God, that's funny. Cause you know, I, I just watch college football, but I, I like to put a lot in the NBA draft. And sometimes I'll force myself to watch somebody and be like, okay, you really like this guy. Now watch him like you hate him. Yeah. Watch find, him as find if what's you, wrong. Right. Watch him as if you're trying to prove a point that you don't like him. And then I'll do the other. Like, you can't stand this guy. Watch yeah. him as if you have to sell him to someone else. Because the, our own confirmation bias when you're watching video is, is pretty yeah. scary, actually, at times. Okay. So how did you have the quarterbacks? What was your final ranking for the quarterbacks? Adam in the ranking that they ended up coming off the board. So I, I had it, uh, um, obviously, Lawrence one. I had Zach Wilson two. I had Trey Lance three. I had Fields four. And I had Mac Jones five. Was there a later round quarterback that you like that you're going to go, you know what, this guy is going to actually work out for him? The one that I was intrigued by, just kind of going through the whole process, was probably Ian Book. Now, I, and I don't know how great he's going to be, but I told you this story before about... Um, Russell Wilson and how he kind of carried himself through that process and was texting me all the time about, you know, Hey, if the Eagles draft me, I'll, I'll help lead them to championships. And you're like, it, people will say that's hokey or that's, I'm like, I don't know. It, he's the only guy that ever did that in eight years. And the guy turned out to be a pretty good player. So, um, Ian book, I spoke with about 50 guys on a zoom. They were training at Michael Johnson's place down in Dallas, just to kind of help them through the interview process of what they're getting ready to go through. And, uh, he got, he hunted down my number from somebody there and uh, sent me a text. So we kept up a little bit through that and just asked good questions. Um, and then you talk to teams. I said, he interviewed really well. I know one of the teams I talked to uh, with some veteran guys said, this guy's got a little rich cannon to him. Like there's just, he's got a little that it thing going on. Um, and I know a bunch of people were targeting there in the fourth round. I was stoked for him to go to, I mean, New Orleans couldn't, he couldn't have found a better place than to, than to go to New Orleans. If you, if, if Drew Brees was in a movie and needed a stunt double, and I'm not saying as a player, but just as a body type, like he looks like the exact same dude. They're exact same build, exact same size. So uh, I'm excited for him. I got to get back to the Russell Wilson texting you all the time thing. Um, oh, yeah. That's, that's really interesting because I kind of, knowing his personality, 
as well as we do. Like it is not at, kinda, not at the time though, right? right at the but time, at the time, you know that. So I'm wondering, is that all part of it? Like how many teams is he doing that with? But yeah, great call. It, it he delivers. So yeah. you can't you can't knock it at all because the guy did it. I mean, you can't really knock anything from him as a football player. I, I mm-hmm. think some of the more recent complaints and his camp trying to craft this story that he's been wronged. I mean, the the only people doing it worse would be Aaron Rodgers' crew right yeah. now. But uh, what do you think of the Rodgers thing? Well, I have you here. I didn't even think of asking you. It's not in my yeah. notes. No, it's uh, it's interesting, man. Like, first of all, a couple thoughts. Number one, um, you can't trade him. Like, it's not an option. And Do you know I, that GM I, at all? Uh, Goody? No, I, I know guys in that front office. I worked with one of them in, in Baltimore. Good dude, um, Milt Hendrickson. But no, I've ne- I've I've met Goody a couple times, but he's well regarded in in all the scouting circles. But yeah, you can't trade him. Like you, you just can't. That's not going to happen. I, I talked to one GM who said, "Look, this is this is where you just call up the player and go, hey, if if you want to if you want to go out and pursue other opportunities in life, go ahead. But there is a zero percent chance you're getting traded. So if you want to try and trample us through the press and try and do whatever you want to do, go ahead." but you will not, you're not playing for anybody other than us. So we can try and hammer out a long-term contract. We'd love to have you here. We're going to make you the highest paid player in the NFL. Um, we're going to do all that. But if you're going to play football, it's going to be in a Packer uniform. That's it. Like there's no there's nip in the bud right there. There's no plan B. We'll see. Um, everybody's I, like, well, he's going to dig his heels in. I'm like, yeah, we know that's why you drafted the other kids. So you can line up and play. It's not like you can't go play football games. And the other thing I would say is, I thought, you know, gosh, if somehow he did manage his way out of there and got to a place like Denver, it'd be phenomenal. But then when you really start looking at all the rosters of the teams, like, is there anybody that's noticeably better than the roster that he has in Green Bay? Like, that was with Tom. Tom, you saw everything kind of crumbling around him. And he's like, dude, I get to go to Tampa and throw to, like, real dudes. Uh, You know, Rodgers has got, he's got dudes. Yeah. Hey, by the way, when you mentioned Michael Johnson, are we talking track? The Olympian, yeah. Michael Johnson. Yeah, he has a, he has a place in Dallas where he trains all these guys for the combine. I can't believe this. this is really weird. I hadn't thought about him in years, and this is the second time he's come up. I was talking with other NFL guys <laughs> about him, yeah. and unfortunately, like I, whenever he had what was it, the Donovan Bailey deal where they did the 150 meter curve, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. pulled up with a hamstring thing. Yeah, it yeah. was such a bad look. Because it was God. just like you're getting smoked, and and then it was the hamstring yeah. deal. It didn't yeah. look good after Johnson had absolutely smoked everyone forever, so everyone really liked him. So it wasn't like an anti Johnson thing. So I was researching that again, and re- I just got caught in a wormhole of that race yeah. and how weird the whole I thing was. About that. Right, because it looked like he pulled up because he was losing, and yeah. I didn't realize he's worth like two hundred fifty million because of Herbalife. What? Yes. I had no idea. Come on. I had I come on. I as well had no idea. So I don't know if those numbers are it's the internet. Wow. You know how it goes. But that's big, by the way, uh, was he was he the first one to kind of stand out with his footwear? Like he wore the gold the gold spikes, right? At the Olympics that one year. I think he was kind of like I, I think he might have been the first one that kind of did that. Everybody else just kind of wore their normal stuff. And it was like, whoa, what's he wearing out there? I don't know. Ben Johnson, I'm trying to think if he did anything in 88. Because that was like height awareness as a kid for me. Because we were like junior high and then you'd go to the 
library and I'm reading the Sports Illustrated. I'm like, Ben Johnson. I'm like, well, oh, Americans. Dude, I used to do that. Do you remember? Do you remember where they at the library, school library, they would have the, the newspaper every day and it was on like this long wood stick. Yeah. It was like connected so you could like flip it over to the different sections. My basketball coach, I was a, te- a teacher's assistant for the high school basketball coach. And uh, I'm like, what am I going to do? Grade math papers? Like, I'm not, I'm no, of no help to you whatsoever. So he would literally just give me a library pass and I would go into the library and just read like the San Diego Union Tribune on that big wood stick. Like, there's no way kids today have any appreciation for how great an experience that was in third period. No, the, the wood stick newspaper thing. Dev, there's people <laughs> listening right now. They're like, what are you guys talking about? Because they're probably like newspapers, but... I would do the same stuff and I would go through and read like as many periodicals as I could and just going through it. And I'll never forget like the Ben Johnson story and thinking, uh, you know, I think I'm 12 or th- I think I'm 12 cause I'd be turning 13 that year. And I was like, uh, fucking cheater. Americans would never do this, <laughs> you know, like, cause that's how, cause I'm a kid coming out of every cold war movie where like you're actually afraid of Russians for like four years. And I just, you know, and then you read anything about Carl Lewis and the U.S. deal back then and and everybody knew what was up. It would just be a matter of like who they wanted to bust it and who they didn't want to bust. Well, we kept it clean in cycling, though. Cycling's always been one of the sports that, yeah, you know... (laughs) Cycling is so ridiculous that I kind of like, I don't really get mad at any of these guys. So when it comes to somebody being busted in cycling, I think there was a Tour de France one year where it was like 10 of the 11 top guys all ended up being out. So you go, how mad can I actually be at any of them? Where Lance, I thought was a little different because he was basically calling out everybody in a very hostile way. So anyway, all right, I've derailed this here. Okay, so you have Mac Jones last. Yeah, I get why everybody likes the pick for the Patriots. Um, it scares me a little bit based on need because I still think if Belichick, we're going to be like, Hey, I do it the Belichick way. I'm holding firm to my line with Brady. This is what we're going to pay you. We're not even going to make you another offer. We're going to be so insulting that like, Hey, yeah, we did an offer. We did it last year. And Brady's like, still, it's the same offer. All right, I'm out of here. Enough of this. Then have a better plan. So people can say that this is good because they kind of lucked into it. But I'm just telling you, I don't know if he's great for 10 years. I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's a backup with the Jets in three years. I'm not going to be surprised either. That's just kind of where I'm at with him. So here's my here's my theory on this. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm glad for him that he didn't go three because I actually think in a weird way, there's less pressure playing in the shadow of Tom Brady than there would have been had he been the third pick over those other quarterbacks and going to San Francisco. I mean, literally, they would have. I mean, they, they would have booed the, the 49er fans would have booed him um, from that point. But if you can you think of an example, I'd have to go back through and look at this where a quarterback went outside the top, let's say the eight picks where a team didn't trade up for them. And that quarterback ended being successful. In other words, if you look at the if you look at Mahomes, you look at Deshaun Watson, you even go back to like Flacco. Those were those were teams maneuvering back to get in position which what I'm getting at, Ryan, it says they love this player because they're not going to sit back and wait and see if he falls to him. He's, if he gets anywhere within range, they are going to aggressively go get him because they have a love for the player. It, in this situation, to me, the Patriots had a like for Mac Jones because they were just saying, hey, if he's there, we'll take him. You know, if he's there, we take him. So that, to me, doesn't sound like a team that was like, you know, oh my gosh, this is our guy. We've got to go get him. They just sat there and he happened to be there. Yeah, the, the scary thing, because I had gone through, you know, and done my 
QB first round thing updated for the 20 drafts. And you know what's weird is, is I mean, Deshaun goes 12, but there's not a lot of success stories in the middle of the first round. No. And that's the part where you're like, all right, maybe it means nothing. I mean, because local radio 101 for me back in the day, you know, the Pats get the the 21st pick. We're like, all right, the last 10 years, here's who went 21. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's the most useless information you could share with anybody, but mm-hmm. that's what I would have done in 2003 or four. So I don't want to do necessarily the same thing, but it's just an odd trend where maybe it's just the race to trade up and position yourself and get in front of everybody when you are quarterback desperate. Um, and that could also lead to why we have so many busts because guys are just saying like, hey, let's just do it because it's a need. Yeah. And here in New England didn't have to give up the assets and that's terrific. But the Saban bill thing, and I've been over this honestly so many times on this podcast, I don't want to be really repetitive. I like certain things from him. But yeah. then when it became, oh, this guy could go top three, I'm like, what? That seems yeah. weird. All right. No. Let's let's finish with this because I know you did the homework and we have to go in about five yep. minutes. Yep. If we go through all the provi- uh, different position groupings, and and I don't know if how you did it. So you take the lead on it. But the question sure. I, I sent Daniel last night was, give me the front offices you trust the most at these positions. So however you did the positions, I mean, I can tee you up yeah, on them, no, but I, got, I don't I know what you did. Yeah. So go ahead. All right. Let's go offense first. I, I broke it up like this. Let's go quarterback. I actually put Andy Reid down, even though technically, you know, you've got Brett is there as the GM, but I just think if you look over Andy's career and look at the decisions that he's made in, in drafting guys, and then also having a development plan and then also spinning them off. Obviously, some incredible trades, the Kevin Cobb trades, the A.J. Feely trades, all those. Um, but I think he identifies what he likes in a quarterback and develops the quarterback better than anybody else. Okay, that's fair. Uh, running backs. And this is interesting because I honestly could have put Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta together with the Ravens on all, almost all these positions. You know, Because you look at their drafting history, they've done so well. And just look at all the, they get these comp picks every year because they're drafting really well. They're letting guys walk and they're replacing them with really good players. But for running backs, that's why I put them. And I, I started thinking about if you go back, you know, with Jamal Lewis, and then obviously you had Ray Rice, then um, you kind of go through, they just got Dobbins this last year. But in, even then identifying veterans, Mark Ingram came in there and gave him good years. Willis McGahee came in there and they got good years out of him. Um I mean, on with Chester Taylor was like a six round pick. We ended up leaving and, and signing for a bunch of money. They've done just a really good job of identifying that position and, and rolling through. Okay. A wide receivers was Kevin Colbert. I don't think there's much of a debate on that with the Steelers. Um, he's got all these guys and they're all outside the first round, you know, go back through Santonio Holmes, Emmanuel Sanders, um, Antonio Wallace. Brown. Yeah. I mean, it goes on and on and it's on. Ridiculous. It's, it's not really even good. close. Yeah. yeah. So they're um, the key. They're the key there. Tight ends again. Another one. I ended up giving this one to the Ravens too. Which there's you can go other places with this, but just look at all the guys they're playing with now. I go back to to uh, bringing over Shannon Sharp as a free agent, but then drafting Todd Heap. Um, you look at you know like the Dennis Pittas were good players before he got hurt, um, and then all these you know they've got Mark Andrews now, who's a really really good player. Hayden Hurst, who they who played you know good enough for them, they traded him and got a second round pick with with Hayden Hurst. Um, so that was one. Um, offensive line, I went with the Patriots with Belichick just because I think they've done a good job with some later round picks. We saw it with Michael Owenu last year. Look at David Andrews as an undrafted free agent. Um, obviously, when they've expended high picks on guys with the first round with Mankins, you look at Joe Tooney, 
guys that have gone on and made good money. Um, so Copen that, too, was somebody they moved yeah, around a bunch. Yeah, and even like going back to like Matt Light was not was not a sexy player. I'm trying to remember. If, I think Belichick was there when they picked him. Yeah, but played a long time. Um, and just they just have a they, Isaiah wins another example. Where everybody said he's too short, he's not long enough. Blah blah blah. And he's a really good player when he plays. Yeah, um, when he's out there. Um, and defense, I just did at the three levels. So defensive line and edge rushers, I kind of put them together because you got the outside linebackers. I went back to the Steelers with Colbert. Um, I mean, guys like Stefan Tuitt's a stud. Uh, Cam Hayward. Look at the, I mean, just look at their team right now. Look at Dupree who just left. They've always been able to draft the outside linebackers. They've had them for 20 years. Um, linebackers, I went a little more recent with this one. I just went with Ballard with the Colts. Um, when I think about Darius Leonard, um, where they got Bobby Okariki, um, they, they have a type of guy that they that they've like dialed in on, which is exactly what linebackers should be right now. So that's why I kind of I thought Chris Ballard, even though it's not a long track record there, I just think I appreciate that he's got a really good eye for that position. And then DBs, um, I just I put uh, light on there with the Bucks. Just that secondary that they have. Just look over the last few years; they're all young guys. Most of them were not high picks in. Uh, and they just they just got really really good football players. They can all they all can find and play the ball, which is like the non negotiable for me. When you when you get guys that can't play the ball back there, you've got no shot. So those were those are some of the ones I came up with. I'm sure there's good arguments for all these, but those are the ones just kind of looking at it. Dana Jeremiah, who was kind enough to join us after a busy week, NFL Network analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Move the Sticks and also the host of the Move the Sticks podcast with his man, Bucky Brooks. I was actually checking in with you guys and, and listened to, to Bucky. Uh, he was so busy, you didn't even get to do the Saturday pod, right? Oh, dude, yeah, I was I, I was slammed, man. But it's uh, it's fun, dude. I, I mean, the good news is, is that I know if I'm hungry, you've got the double oven ready to roll. So if I can cruise over there, we're we're in great shape. What are you blending yeah. these? What are you blending these days? By the way, uh, you know, just depends on the day. Getting getting uh, your day ready. You know, I like to I like to start light in the morning before I get all my yeah. work in. You know, um, I don't yeah. like to eat a ton in the morning. Then I, I'll I'll hammer three meals from noon on. I don't even call it fasting. It just sort of happened. <laughs> you stumbled into it. You stumbled into this whole intermittent. I stumbled fasting. into this. Yeah, I stumbled <laughs> into this routine. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just down with it. I don't like to eat before I work out. And I used to hate working out in the morning cause I always felt like I was going to get hurt because the, just the body wasn't ready. You know, the body yeah. needed the routine. And I loved after I got done with the show, then working out and then going home and watching games and eating th that way. But now, um, now that I'm a West coast guy, you know, it's just, it's just part of, I'll get this done and then mm -hmm. I do stuff and then the day starts, then all the hard work. Can I, can I ask you, this is the last question. This is because I'm really yeah. curious about this as a scout. If you're home alone, right? Yeah, yeah. Will you eat at the same area on that bar so that you, on the, on the island, so that you don't have to clean the entire island, but just have your little corner where you kind of know this is where I'm going to be. And then I just have to keep this little corner clean. Um, no, I'm not that ridiculous okay. about it. I okay. will sit. I've got three positions that I'll sit in. I'll rotate them. I need I need a rotation experience. Okay. I need things to be. You don't new want season challenge. tickets. You don't want right. season tickets. Yeah. No. You're no, I want individual game package. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I just right. I need the experience to change all the time to keep the stimulation going. Okay. That's good. That's I'm not ready curious. to retire. Yeah. That's good. That's Is good. that a good answer? <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> good, man. Because if you're a scout, you could say, like, we like it. He's regimented. He knows exactly what he wants. Yeah. Or you would say, Hey, he's we open like to it. new experiences. Like, he can learn and grow. Yeah, he's outside the pocket, kind of philosophically. 
Yeah. No, I like it. Hey, you got to be able to make plays on schedule and off schedule. Right. All platforms, different <laughs> angles. This guy's Zach Wilson over here. I live in alone. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, buddy. See you, man. Later. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, that means real experts are checking your sneakers every stitch down to the sole. They'll even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Buy Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. You want details? Buy. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Let's have at it. Okay, longtime listener, 30 years old, 6'3", 250. Big dude. We have a friend, let's call him Steve. And we've been friends since high school. We have a tight-knit group um, that always watches sporting events together, and Steve's always part of it. All right, so the group of guys all the way back from high school, they watch big games together, or apparently they watch a lot of games together. However, he can be a tough hang during these events because he's very opinionated and thinks he knows more about, quote, X event or sport, unquote, than everyone else in attendance. He is knowledgeable to an extent, but his opinions are often time unwarranted and just kill the vibe. For example, I played football through college and have now coached high school for 10 years. Routinely, he will make comments about the game, including play calling, timeout usage, refereeing. Uh, When I try to give insight about situational awareness or rules, he is quick to start an argument or get temperamental. And don't even get me started on how belligerent he can be when the girlfriends are around. Uh Uh-oh. He also thinks he's the foremost expert on MMA and takes it upon himself um, to both commentate on the fights so we can't hear John Anik, a major sin, as well as tell us what he'd do if he were fighting. He just can't stop talking. <laughs> I think we all know somebody like this. Long and short, the he ruins my enjoyment of live sporting events with his commentary. I know some of my friends also notice it from the eye rolls and head shaking that goes on, but I don't know if it bothers them like it does me. Question being, should I confront him about these tendencies he has and ask him to tone it down, stop, and risk not being invited to live events in the future? Am I wrong? And should uh, just let him keep being him and adjust my expectations mentality at these events games. Have you ever experienced anything like this? Thank you. Uh, Yeah, we all have. We all have. I was probably a little bit like this with baseball when I was in those peak Red Sox years where I didn't miss a game. I knew I knew more about the Red Sox than everybody else because I was obsessed with it. And I'm not talking about like everybody in Boston, but where I was living at the time, the point where when I was bartending and a guy would ask a Red Sox question, the other bartenders would be like, "Just, just ask him because he's going to come over and be like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> and a lot of it had to do with the fact nothing else was going well for me. So I'm wondering if your man Steve here doesn't have much else that's going on. Because then I would use that as kind of this identifying thing where it made me feel like I was actually contributing to whatever it was when I woke up every day. Like I had a thing. I had the Red Sox as an escape. And then I was going to be the guy that knew the most about it. And so that 
that let me feel like I had some value because at the time I had zero. I brought zero value to the table. So I actually think this is like a real deep deal here when you're in this group setting and you want to prove that you know it all. It's because I think there's probably something else not going on or things that aren't going that well. So I, you know, I'd be curious. Now, look, there's plenty of guys. There's plenty of guys that are doing really, really well and do the exact same thing. Okay. So let's, let's give you another example. I remember being at a college basketball game with Doug Gottlieb and, you know, Gottlieb is, is plugged in with college basketball. You heard him on this podcast. I mean, Doug talking college basketball is, is up there with anybody. He's just that good at it. And so he and I are watching a game and I wouldn't be like, you know, uh, Hey, I can't believe they're they're running the screen to that side, and then that's the way they're running the trap. <laughs> like I'm not going to do that in front of him. I don't know. It would take me a little while to figure that out anyway, right? And so there was another media guy that was sitting around us, and we weren't tight with him, but we all knew who each other were. And he started becoming like timeout guy, right? And so it was close, and then one of the teams after a make didn't call a timeout, brought it down, missed it. And then there was a foul and this kind of went on for a little while. So the one team, we've all seen this before in basketball, right? So the one team that was down was still kind of chasing points here a little bit, putting them on the free throw line and all that kind of stuff. But there was this one moment where they could have called a timeout. They just didn't. They tried to get something going and said, let's just do it this way. We don't need to call a timeout. We'll save it for a little bit later. And so because they didn't call the timeout and of course, because it didn't work and they were going to lose the game, the guy turns around to me, but really more towards Gottlieb because he's looking kind of for Gottlieb's approval and says, should have got to call, got to use that time out there, right? Got to, got to use it. Can't take him with you. And Doug's like, yeah, you know, fair, but I get it. And then, you know, another possession wouldn't go their way. And the guy would turn around and be like, I can't believe he didn't use the timeout. Can't believe, inexcusable, inexcusable. And you're just like, yeah, okay, man. And then he did it like a third time, like as we're leaving, game's over, band's playing. He's like, oh, he goes, he's going to regret that one, huh? huh? And it's like, yeah, dude, we fucking get it. You think they should have called a timeout and then they didn't and it didn't work out. And so now you're right, because I think that's something that we we all have elements of at times is that, look, it happens to me plenty in this profession. I'm wrong. I'm going to be wrong more. And when I'm wrong, admit it. Some of you get off on it. All right, because it's like this guy has a career where he's just basically sitting around watching games and talking about it. And this is what he's been doing for almost 20 years. Well, I could have done that. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could have. But there's something about feeling like you're right about an observation that's that's really, I don't know if there's an endorphin thing behind it. So what you have here is you have your guy who maybe he's just annoying. Maybe other things in his life are going great. All right. Because I'm I'm using myself as an example in the Red Sox things, why I knew I was kind of doing it because I was like, I don't really have anything else to talk about. Like, there's literally nothing. Like, you guys like jam bands? Like, I had nothing to bring to the table. So um, in this case, that could be part of it. It also could be there's there's that that guy that has that in his in his DNA where he likes to watch the people that are doing the things that are more accomplished, like the MMA part of it. Where it's like, oh, armbar. You got an armbar there. Why is he not armbar? Uh, you know, the armbar has been there for three rounds. And it's just <laughs> absurd. It's absurd to be that guy. But there's so many of those guys. I remember I also went to like this amateur MMA thing in Boston. And I went with somebody who was actually like legitimately 
we never said anything to him because he would have killed all of us um, because he was a good fighter, but he was also like wired differently in a very, very strange, like you could see it in his eyes way. And we watch, I don't know, seven or eight fights and I'm sitting next to him and he's like, these guys all suck. I'm like, all right, all of them suck. None of them are tough. You'd beat all of them, you know? And so none of us really wanted to say that to him. But at one point I was like, dude, no one's good. No one's good. He's like, nope. He's like, technically, these guys are a mess. So I don't know why guys do that. I'll tell you too, man, guys do it way more than women do. I, I can't, as I'm thinking about this, it's not that I haven't talked to women that are opinionated and wrong about stuff all the time, but guys have this sense of wanting to feel like they belong. And so I, I always, I, I just, I don't I think it's unavoidable. I don't know that you can sit there and talk to them about this. I don't. Like, hey, man, your sports observations are really annoying. And nobody wants to hear them anymore. So please tone them down and be somebody different when you're at these events. I don't know. I would just invite him to a few less of them because you clearly care about his feelings enough. It seems like, you know, that's important. The friendship part of it's important. But it's a weird thing to tell somebody like, hey, shut up. When we're at games, shut up. Stop talking about stuff. <laughs> but I've I've heard this so many different times. And it definitely happens to me a little bit more too because you know, as I've shared stories in the past, there'll just be a guy and it's like, he doesn't really care about what my answer is. He just wants to tell me what his answer is. So I'll ask a question and it's like, you can see in his mind, he's not even listening to your answer. He's just waiting for you to finish so that he can give you the answer to his own question. And then he's expecting you to agree. And then when you disagree, you're like, yeah, it's not really what I think happened. It's like, yeah, well, you're wrong. I'm like, okay, cool. It's great. Great meeting you, man. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Kyle? Um, it seems like it, the one thing from the email, it seemed like Steve's the guy with the nice TV and a little extra seating because he was like, I don't want to say something and risk not getting invited to events. I think that's what it said. Um, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't watch MMA with the guy because that seems. Super oh, annoying. yeah. Great call, Kyle. Kyle's automatically thinking, like, how would this impact my enjoyment? Yeah. Should I confront him about these tendencies he has and ask him to tone it down, stop and risk not being invited to live events in the future? I think don't confront him. I think like if it's like a game and it's snowing, just be like, all right, we got it, Steve. Like that's like, that's okay. You know what you could do? You know what you could do? Kyle, you inspire me. You could do just an absolute mad dog blitz on him with the rest of the guys. (laughs) We go the first time he says, this is what he would have done. (laughs) The next time we're watching UFC, we're just making a dude pact here where we just let into him verbally. Like just... (laughs) unleash where five or six of us you can't stop be like will you shut up about what you would do in all these fights and whether it's play calling or the refs or whatever we get it we get it and it's just but the thing is it might ding him up a little bit emotionally like he might not ever be the same because none of us (laughs) very few of us i should say uh you know want to be told straight up what they're doing that everybody hates like, hey, man, this is the thing we all think that sucks about you. So please enjoy for the next 10 minutes as we tell you. That's a tough thing to do. It's a really tough thing to do. And usually guys don't come out of it stronger. Uh, people are like, oh, this is going to make me stronger. Be, no, no. You're mentally going to be like, God. Because that's, that's something else that's always good to kind of keep yourselves in check. You're like, what do people say behind my back? What do people say about me behind my back? And I'd be like, oh, they could probably say this. Oh, they definitely say this. Oh, they say that. 
Um, I don't know. It's a horrifying exercise, but sometimes it's worth doing to yourself. And then sometimes guys are incapable of doing it because they'd be like, what are you talking about? What would you say about it? I'm awesome. Are you kidding me? Arm bars, dude. Saruti, <laughs> anything to add? Well, I was going to say, that's that's like a firing squad situation where if you all attack this one guy, it's no one guy's fault. So he can just be mad at, the, at all of you, but he's not going to be mad at one of you. So he kind of gets the hint and then everyone gets to kind of move on. But I'll also say, I do feel like MMA guy, the guy that's aggressively talking about how he would do arm bars and why this guy isn't tough enough. That guy, I feel like is insecure about his own toughness. Is he not? Because those guys, I just feel like the MMA guy, I got, it doesn't bother me when there's a guy being like, oh, this coach sucks at timeouts. This guy gets fired. But it does feel like the guy who's like, oh, this dude is not tough or like you should keep your hands up. The MMA fighting guy, <laughs> I just feel like he's masking something. There's something there that he's like insecure about his own toughness. He wants to prove to everybody else that he's really tough. Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. And they, I mean, the great thing with MMA, you could be like, hey, start fighting guys. Exactly. Well, yeah, well, that doesn't happen. No, I'm saying like, Gay, show up to a gym, you know, start rolling around on a mat, do it. I mean, no one can sit here and, and say, you know, one of my things with my dad, he used to, he was convinced he could get like eight points in an NBA game. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like that. You're big and you're a great shooter, but you're like 50. Give me a break. He'd be like, you really don't think with enough shots, you couldn't get eight points. I go, if they decide you're not getting your shot off, it's not going to happen. And he, we would laugh about it because he was kind of kidding, but he was kind of serious a little bit. But here's the thing is that that's not an option. The fighting part of MMA expert of what I would have done and be like, great, go ahead. You can get into an amateur fight in a year. Go ahead and do it. And then nobody does. It. Okay. Uh, real estate drama. Uh, speaking of, we had a, a handful of people chime in uh, about our man in Arizona on his, um, his real estate wasn't a dilemma. He's going to make a profit. I brought up, make sure you check in the capital gains tax. We had many people uh, reach out, almost all of you helpful. One guy was a complete dick about it um, because I didn't know all the capital gains tax rules on investments, depending on if you qualified for the two and five or two out of five or whatever. Um, and I guess we could do that where if I'm not 100% on every single subject here, we could not do some of those things. But um, I appreciate guys checking in and I even emailed the guy follow up. I said, Hey, it looks like if you're under 250, you're going to be in the clear here. If you've lived there for the two years, like you said, um, and then we'll leave it at that. So, um, I appreciate so many people reaching out and being cool about it and, uh, making sure a listener had all the information. Cause yes, believe it or not, I don't know, um, everything about all of this stuff. And that's why I'm hesitant at times to do it. Cause I don't want you being like, well, not sure if I should buy or sell, but I'm going to tell the wife, the guy on the podcast said now that is the time to move. Cause I don't know all of these markets other than the markets that I'm in. So here's a market that's been on fire. That probably scares me a little bit. So let's talk about it. All right. Family real estate drama for you. Bay area. I became one sixth owner of an investment property near downtown San Jose. Uh, my grandparents put this property in a grandchildren's trust for us to inherit when they pass. They were the sweetest people you'd ever meet. And I'm grateful to have such a generous inheritance. The house is old, two bed, one bath built in 1930 with serious foundation issues. The real value is in the location close to downtown. It sits on a 6,000 square foot lot. We, the grandkids, now have to decide what to do with the property. There are six of us total, myself, my three sisters, and two cousins. All right, so it's you, the four siblings, and then the two cousins. Four of us want to sell now. Two of us want to buy the others out and keep the house as a rental property. One of my sisters, both my cousins, and I see this as a bad 
investment when you consider the foundation repairs and other maintenance the house will need. Plus, I would rather get the money out now, put it towards a property of my own, and start building equity towards something that is 100% mine. My other two sisters um, view this as an opportunity to buy an investment property below market value, and ideally, the rent money would cover the cost of repairs and maintenance. I can't blame them for wanting to go that route, but they are five years older than me, so they have a little bit more capital than your boy right now in case these things go south. The problem now is that we disagree on the buyout price. Everybody in the history of time, whenever these things happen, God, all I hear are horror stories about this stuff. Like, it's great, the inheritance thing. It's better than zero. But whenever people try to keep these houses in the family and then split them up, and then next thing you know, you're next to the third generation here. I don't know. I don't, I don't hear a, a, like, yeah, there was 12 of us and we all agreed on the same price and sold it. And it was great. And not one person was pissed off. I just don't hear that very often. So the problem is that disagreeing the buyout price um, certainly there'd be a big difference in the appraisal price and the true market value of the home if we were to sell in the open market. The four sellers wants what what uh, want what's fair and are willing to meet somewhere in the middle based on the appraisal and true market value. But the two sisters have stated they will only be able to pay us out at the appraisal number and nothing beyond that. All right, well that's bullshit. Um, so you're saying two of the sisters want the appraisal number. Now, as most or some, and again, I, I don't want to go too into the deep end because I understand that I'm also not a real estate expert, but for any transaction I've ever had, like the appraisal price versus the real market price, appraisal price is always lower. It just Different places will be different, but for the most part, especially when you're looking at the property taxes, you look at the appraisal number and you're like, oh, okay. So it's the appraisals just, it generally comes in lower. Um, some places don't, I would say more places that I've been, the appraisal was lower. I don't know if that's going to happen here. All right. But if they're trying to sell you at the appraisal and it's a big, big gap between that and the market price, that's bullshit. And so I'm actually on your side on that one. Um, Cause you know, it's, it's found money. Basically it's incredible. The grandparents left this here for you, but now, cause at first when I thought you were complaining about the price, I'm like, well, okay. So now you want to discount or you want to bump on the, the found money, but what they want is they want to make money in the inheritance, and now they're going to make money on you by buying you out um, because of whatever an appraisal number is right now. But again, I don't know what the gap would be between market and appraisal number. You're telling me it would be less. I don't know. I don't know the market. After that, uh, things in the group chat got a little heated between the cousin and the sisters, which led to one of the sisters saying that our number one priority should be keeping it in the family, and that's what grandma would have wanted if she were alive. Well, apparently grandma wanted you guys to have one six ownership. So you weren't going to keep the house forever, but whatever. Um, which our emailer says, which I thought was totally uncalled for. Again, I agree with the emailer here. Despite my frustration, I played peacekeeper in the group chat and suggested we all wait and see what the appraisal comes back at first. But let's be real. This is just as much about money to them as it is to us, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, no, no one's innocent here in hoping it works out in their favor. Why should I be sacrificing part of my inheritance for their benefit? I hope I don't sound like an ungrateful prick, but I have plans in the next uh, five-ish years to start a family of my own, and this money is going to help me do that. I love my sisters. I've always gotten along with them. I'm afraid, though, if we can't get on the same page, this is going to cause a rift in the family. Not only would that affect my relationship with my sisters, it also affect my relationship with my dad. This is the house his father grew up in. I know he's very sentimentally attached. He's already told me that he supports Brittany and Sarah's decision to buy us out, even to the point where he would be willing to co-sign on a loan to make it happen. My hope is that they ultimately understand our side of it. 
that with homes selling like crazy right now, we could be leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, especially considering it's Silicon Valley real estate. All right. So um, that's another part of it is that that market's just absurd. Um, so I, I think I'd be scared of holding long, long term there. But again, I don't know. I don't know. All right. So you may, you brought up a great point because on all of this, like if you're going to play the family card and this is what grandma would want, but you're also getting my share for below market value, like don't fucking bring that up. That That's bullshit. That's total bullshit. So I, I'd agree with you. I don't know if you can do anything other than, you know, if you said, hey, let's wait it out and I'll do it in five years, you're never going to get on the same page here. It's been a bad start. It probably doesn't mean it's going to be a good ending. I think the only thing you could really do is come up with some kind of an agreement where you go, can we do, I mean, the appraisal number, like I said, they usually come in lower. So that's not fair to you. And that's, if that's what you're telling us, is there any way that you could get, you know, three realtors to tell you what it would get on the market? And then everybody decide ahead of time, although it would suck if like one of the sisters said, oh, I have a real estate agent friend and she's going to give us a lower number. You go, can we do this? Can we talk to three different agents about listing it? We're not going to list it. Ask them for a price, although they'll probably tell you a higher price that you'll want to list it and then be like, hey, so somebody came in a couple hundred grand under, but we think this is the right time to sell it. Um, Is there any way you guys can come to some sort of communal agreement about a price beyond just whatever the tax assessment is that, and then go, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll take the one in the middle and that'll be the buyout price because I don't, you know, I, but this is good luck with this one. Um, I wasn't going to solve your problem here in the email, but I would, I would tell you that this is a pretty bad start. So I don't know why everybody's going to get along here because every time somebody, one of the sisters says it's about family or something like that. It's like, no, it isn't. It's about you getting me out at a lower one six share based on a number that isn't a real reflection of the value. So good luck. Don't like that. It's like teetering on the edge yeah. of being ugly. It's like, it's like a couple more weird conversations from like being in judge Judy. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, I didn't think you were going to offer a ton on that one, but I liked that you brought in a little judge Judy. What would be your number one go-to daytime show, Kyle, when you have nothing to do? It's always a court show. No, doesn't matter. Uh, I used to be a Judge Joe Brown guy. I thought he was just super charming. I like Judge Mathis. He's leaning more towards like paternity tests and stuff now, and it's Zoom, and it's... So I'm just... Judge Judy's my number one. Hot Bench is interesting. Three judges. Hot Bench is good, but Judge Judy, no doubt. She's not really daytime anymore. She's like four o'clock, I think. Three, four o'clock. So she's still like flirting with... uh, Prime time. There you have it. So wait a minute. Mathis has just gone to paternity for you? Yeah. I mean, and it's Zoom too. Like Judge Judy, they're like, all right, let's get him tested. We'll get him in the courtroom. Mathis is like every other one is, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it just she doesn't was, feel she the was same. dating around, but you know, it's 20 years in and we just want to, I just want to know if my daughter is, so it's like you, you guys have petitioned the court to find out. So I was like, this isn't, it's not for me, but I like Judge Mathis. So, you know, I'll give him a go every once in a while. There's no greater tease in television history than we'll find out if you're the father next. I mean, whenever I'm in a hotel, you know, showering in the room, getting ready to run out. And then I'm like, I can't go anywhere until I find out. <laughs> I can't do, you know, and then they just time it out perfectly. It's a big deal. There's going to be, what, what could be the podcast equivalent of that? There isn't, there really isn't anything. There's just, because again, you're on the podcast, so you're not going to like change. You could turn it off, but I don't know. Well, if you put like an know. ad break in between your 2002 year, maybe that would do it. 
we just throw like three DAI ads in there before like the next thing. They'd stick around. <laughs> I know. I um I don't even know if I would have emailed the show back in O2. Be like, hey man, so this is the deal. Like it's a one bedroom, but it isn't really. But you know what? There's a lot of storage under that loft. <laughs> All right. Thursday, we have, I think we're gonna get dill for this week. I'm not hundred percent sure. There's a couple other to-do things that I need to do the follow-up on. Um, I also did the top five draft picks from different front offices. I have to apologize to the entire audience for this one, but I thought I was gonna be able to get those done when we did the Simmons and Jalen Brown thing more often, but between me not wanting to bug guys and then guys kind of helping and then being like, yeah, no problem, or I'll do it tomorrow, whatever. I just realized this was stupid for me to promise this to the audience. So I, I apologize for that. But I do have a couple that are almost done. But now I don't want to say anything about it because I've not done a good job delivering on that after that was really cool to get those scouts' perspectives on different players. So we'll do some more of it, but I'm certainly not going to promise anything because I did not uh, follow through. So thanks as always. Checking out the podcast. Spread the word. Subscribe. Great review. Thank you to Steve Cerruti and Kyle Crichton.